Hello, and welcome to the Mark Gross Podcast. You've tuned in on the right day because today's guest is the most popular guest I've had on the podcast. She is straight fire, straight truth teller, a total badass, says everything with love and conviction and the invitation for all of us to just improve ourselves relationally, to stand in our power, to find our voice, calls us out on our shit. Oh man, I can't say enough. Before we get into this episode, wherever you listen to this, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you love the episode, please share it. Wherever you do listen to this, please give the podcast a five-star review and a written review. That really helps me out to get it in more people's ears to help more people wake up relationally and create the love that we are all so, so worthy of. So thank you for your support ahead of time. I really appreciate you. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy, and ultimately asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI? And building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks. And I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. I can't delay this anymore because this woman is a powerhouse. So without further ado, here is psychotherapist Terry Cole. All right, create the lovers, listeners, you're going to be overjoyed that I brought back one of the all-time faves. I think this is your third time on the show. And I third think so, time. yeah. So if you don't recognize the voice, Terry Cole's in the house. Welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why, thanks. You know, we've crushed codependency together, and I think it was only wise that since we had such great conversations about codependency, uh, that we have where your magic is, which is the subject of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Oh, huh. and you know, just even saying boundary just makes me kind of excited. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we're about to get in it. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You know, the, I, I often will say to people like boundaries are sexy AF, like they're the hottest thing. You know, like you get boundaries, like go to the gym or get a boundary, get a boundary first, you know, maybe a boundary to go to the gym, but you know what I'm saying? So can you first for the listener, um, maybe define what a boundary is or what that, you know, 
as we get, it might be new languages for some people too. Yes. I mean, there's lots of um, definitions out there, but mine is, it is you knowing your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, and having the ability to communicate those things in all areas and relationships of your life. That's what being a, wait, that's what being a boundary boss is, right? Because you do it with ease and grace. You learn how to do it. That's my definition. And you have a book that comes out tomorrow on exactly this subject. So can you just tell us, I, I should have asked that first. Tell us a little more about that. Sure. It's called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And it is a step-by-step guide to going from wherever you are right now in your relationship to boundaries, to being masterful at boundaries, mm. to becoming a boundary yeah. boss. Which, we, you know, I think when you're boundaryless, you, you'll have similar feelings, like there'll be a certain sort of characteristics of what life looks like. And when you get boundaried, oh Lord, it's a whole different thing. And I've had the honor and pleasure of learning from you on this subject and you're a master at it. So tell us a little bit, so we, we know what a boundary is, so tell us why we need them. We need them because this is the information. First of all, we need them because knowing your preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers, those things are the things that make you uniquely and authentically you. So when we hide them, like when we say yes, when we want to say no, when we agree to things or we don't set a limit on something, we are misleading the people mm. in our life. Right? We are giving literally corrupted data to the folks in our life. So we need them because it's also a way to protect your integrity, your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, right? If you know your limits and you're able to concisely set a boundary, you are protecting yourself. And think about boundaries as if you say yes, when you want to say no, right? When you have disordered boundaries, or your boundaries are too porous or you're too afraid or you're very codependent, you, people don't really trust when you say yes to something because they know you're a people pleaser. They know that you're maybe mm. going to bail at the last minute. Maybe, you know, I, I know I have friends like this and I go, well, there's a 50% chance. She said yes, but there's a 50% <laughs> chance that that yes is actually a no and it's not going to happen. And when your no can't be trusted, mm. neither can your yes. Wow. Just sitting with that is like, that sounds to me like most people. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it feels like, like when someone finally is like, hey, I uh, can't do that. There's sort of a respect that we have for them. Or like, uh, you know, because as you're saying, like, if you tell the world, this is who you are when you're not actually that, what you're saying is I'm, I'm misrepresenting myself. I'm lying to them about who I am. With, without a doubt. And this striving, right? Without a doubt, what you just said, Mark, is so true. Women in particular, men as well, but, but women in particular, we're raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. Like in life, th this is when you get the gold star. Be a good girl. Where's my happy girl? Turn that frown around. Why? I'm sad. Why would I turn <laughs> that frown around? Like, why? That doesn't make sense. But we learn to um, abandon ourselves and to repress emotions that will get us negative feedback, right? Kids are so adaptive. So we learn if you are self-sacrificing, if, you know, being nice, especially as a little girl, this is like the highest like virtue if people think of you as nice. So much of the time clients would say, oh, I don't want them to think I'm a bitch. I, I don't want them to think. Stop worrying about what everyone else thinks. Do you want yourself to think that you're a fraud? Well, then stop saying yes when you want to say no. And yet I understand we were literally trained to disavow, deny our true feelings if other people wouldn't like it. So when we, let's get clear about niceness, right? What is actually nice? <laughs> Helping your elderly neighbor shovel their snow. That's nice. That's thoughtful. Saying yes when you want to say no is just not being honest. And it has far reaching ramifications in our lives. I can't tell you, Mark, how many women would come into my therapy practice, you know, in their fifth, sixth decades of life. And they're like, 
I've got it all together. I'm checking all the boxes. I like my partner. My kids are on track to go to the right colleges. Got money in the bank. Retirement's good. I go to SoulCycle three times a week. But I have a question. Is this all there is? Is this the way I'm supposed to feel? And I would say, how do you feel? And they would say, empty. Mm. And I'm like, no, this isn't all there is. Because if you build a life based on checking boxes, not on your unique, authentic, true self, it feels empty. That feels like that journey back to self that would feel so daunting because, you know, like no matter what, if you've been living your life for the applause of other people, for the approval of other people, for the right college, the right job, the right smile, the right whatever the fuck it is. It's like when you finally get to that place where you're like, is there, I've asked that question before in my life where it was like, is there more to this? Like, is, cause you're, you've, you sort of live the life you're taught to live and behave in the way you're taught to behave. And then you realize that you don't know who you are. And from what you're saying, it sounds like boundaries allow us to journey back there. They restore that. They, but how, I mean, that would be so foreign, right? Like, like to all of a sudden go from like the clients you're talking about or someone who is a people pleaser or doesn't have a boundary life or doesn't even know what they want to all of a sudden be like, okay, how do I, how do I get back? You know what right. I'm saying? Well, I tell you exactly how. This is why I wrote a book about it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and I, buy the book, buy the book. <laughs> just buy the damn book. Go to boundarybossbook.com. But really, I the steps, you know, I spent two and a half decades basically doing this personally. Now, why would I write a book about boundaries? What do they say? You teach what you most need to learn. Okay, well, <laughs> that certainly was true in my case, really being a boundary disaster in my 20s for sure and, and before that. And then becoming a psychotherapist after being a talent agent for you know eight, for years. And that entertainment industry, not exactly a hotbed of mental health when it comes to boundaries, as you can imagine. Yeah. And then being in the trenches with my clients and seeing these pain points over and over again. And it would be like the presenting problems would be different. Maybe someone comes in and they're like, I'm doing all the work, but not making as much money as the person who are the men that I work with. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one problem. My family of origin is a shit show. My relationship is falling apart. I have an eating disorder, whatever the presenting problem would be. I was, I could just follow the dots backwards to this lack of this incredibly important skill set. It wasn't just me who didn't know. It wasn't just me in my own life who needed to unlearn all of the corrupted data that I learned from my family of origin, from the society I grew up in. It was all of the women who I was meeting and my friends. And so this book is based on all of this research. And realizing that boundaries, becoming fluent in boundaries is exactly like becoming fluent in a language. You wouldn't just know it. You shouldn't just know it. You can't wish yourself, you know, you can't pray hard enough to wake up fluent in any foreign language that you've had no instruction in, right? And you wouldn't expect to. This is the same. So if you can look at becoming a boundary boss, becoming fluent in this beautiful art, as a step-by-step -step process, the same way you'd learn anything else. So the beginning of the process is getting to know yourself. So long way around the barn to get back to your question, is it in the beginning? Because the book is a book, but it's also, it's all about the reader. So everything that I explain in every chapter, there's a section, as soon as I explain something, then it's back to you. And we start immediately applying it to the reader's life because it doesn't help you. If you theoretically understand something, but don't know how to access it enough to actually do it in your life, that doesn't, actually, that's worse than not knowing at all, kind of. So we start with self-knowledge, right? We start with raising awareness, because the whole book is based on my five pillars of um, self-mastering. So self-awareness is the first pillar. And looking at our lives, where where am I angry? Where am I resentful? Where am I exhausted? What needs my attention when it comes to what well, the subtitle of the book, right, is the essential guide to talk true, be seen, and finally live free. So where am I not talking true? Where am I saying yes when I want to say no? So we raise awareness and then we do a massive inventory 
called the okay and not okay list, where you actually, down to the littlest thing in your life, you are writing out what is working right now well for you? What is aligned with how you want it to be? And what isn't from the lighting in your bedroom to the way that you are uh, communicating with a loved one, a family member, to what you're doing for work, all of those things. Because most women in particular, men too, I imagine, but never take the time to do that kind of a massive inventory where we just go, oh, this is life though. Right. Like this is just how it is. Right. No big deal. But there are so many things that you can change and being fluent in boundaries means knowing and prioritizing your preferences. Right. As women, we've been taught to be like, this is a badge of honor to say, oh, I'm easy. You know, no fuss, no muss. You know me. It's all good. And you would just want to be like, it's not. (laughs) actually all good. And why is it good to have no preference? It isn't good, right? To be, um, listen, to be able to compromise, to meet in the middle. Of course, of course, this is a part of being in a healthy relationship, but that's really, Mark, not what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about we are so conflict averse that we, we want to take any chance that we're we're going to get pushback from someone out of the mix by saying, oh, whatever you want is good, you know? And it's like, you're just not developing yourself because your preferences, right? Desires, limits, deal breakers, that is who you are. So the less that you share them, the less that you know them, the less authentic you are in life. You don't get to experience you. You don't get to experience your own joy. Like that sounds just so, I say that, that sounds so exhausting. Who would live like that? And I'm like, oh (laughs) yeah, I remember me. Um, And and you're right, that feeling of like, it's all good. It's cool. Uh, No, not a big deal. Really though, it's like the biggest deal and it really matters, but we're so used to maybe of being, as you said, conflict avoidant or, um, not wanting to rock the boat or sweep it under the carpet. You know, like we have all these, you keep talking about all these sayings we have that are around maintaining the social conditioning of being boundaryless. And yes. that sounds, ex- I mean, it's, it sounds like it's less work to not make something a big deal, but it actually ends up being way more work because you live a life that you're constantly hustling, constantly exhausted. I mean, walking on eggshells right? You're hypervigilant to avoid the conflict. You know, people will say, oh, she's so amazing. She would give anyone the shirt off her back. I'm like, girl, keep your shirt on. Like, why? (laughs) Why are you doing that? (laughs) Literally, don't, how about be discerning? Maybe give the shirt off your back to someone who's freezing to death and you're not, fine. But it's like, think about the sayings. Like, why is that a good thing? So being discerning is such a big part of this process too, of being fluent in boundaries, because the way that you treat your love interest, your bestie, your, you know, your person is going to be different than how you enact boundaries with a boss, because you have a power differential, a subordinate, because you have a power differential, a friend, a colleague. And we handle all of that in the book. And we have, you know, people fall into categories because not everyone's the same. You have some people who can be very respectful, who, even if you're a boundary disaster, they're asking you, no, I actually want to know what, what do you want to eat? Like last time I picked, it's your turn. I want, you know, like you'll have people who help you be less boundary, less sort of, because they're, they're very interested and they'll work to get that information. But then of course you have the boundary bullies. Anyone? Do you know any? Have you ever experienced any? (laughs) No. (laughs) Definitely not. Well, I think in some way, when you're boundary list, do you not sort of uh, leave space wide open for a good boundary bully to like just like I got a couple high heel footprints on my forehead from my early 20s. There's no doubt. And not in a sexy way. <laughs> you're like not in a foot fetish way. Yeah. No, not that's not that's what we're about. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it's true. But here's the thing. The the cracked pot, as I like to say, like literally sends out a neon, a neon signal for the cracked lid. So when we are a boundaryless wonder, we do. Like when we're an overgiver, we definitely find the overtakers. 
who are like, oh, good. You want to give all day long? Can't wait. This is like what we teach in crush and codependency, where the, you know, the narcissist and the codependents, they just can't break up because it's such a perfect fit. Like, I can't wait to give you everything and have it never be about me, but actually ultimately low-key always be about me. And the other person is like, I can't wait for it to always be about me too. Fantastic. Let's go. <laughs> and of course you can't do that forever, but it's true, right? They fit. It's the same thing with boundaries where, and here, oh, this, this is such, that's a perfect segue into why many times in love relationships, we confuse compatibility, like this is an amazing relationship, with compliance. Hmm. Like, like they do what I like. They like, is that what you mean by compliance? They like what I like. They don't argue about things. Or the person I'm talking about, like the person who would have taken our course, yeah. of, you know, a, who needs help with codependency. They are the ones mistaking compatibility with compliance because I would have clients come in and say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like, why? I'm like, I'm in a perfect relationship with this perfect person who's everything is perfect. And yet I'm fucking miserable. You're like, "Hmm, why is it perfect? I mean, we never fight. We never fight. I'm like, right. Because you always do what they want to do and you're compliant. Mm. Oh my God. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, that's not the same. Compatibility means there's mutuality. We're both inputting. We're both sharing. We're compromising. Sometimes I win. Sometimes Vic wins, right? In my relationship, like of the thing we're going to do. That's compatibility. And yes, liking the same thing sometimes comes in there, but it's really about how do you negotiate preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers together as a couple? That is what compatibility is, is being able to consider those things, mm -hmm. not expecting your partner to be exactly like you, not making them wrong for not being exactly like you, being able to respect the differences and still negotiate for your preferences, right? At times when you are compliant, your biggest preference is not having conflict. Right. You don't end up getting to do a lot of shit you like when you're like that, you know, <laughs> it's like, no. That's an interesting delineation, too, of the compliance with the compatibility, because, you know, you think about how can you really authentically respect, appreciate, and all the things of your partner's preferences and opinions and thoughts and feelings if you don't know how to stand in your own? Like, it's not an authentic appreciation of those or an authentic, and it doesn't mean you won't like some of the things they like, but there's no deep knowledge of yourself. And so there's no line between who, what, like, I love, I love football too. Oh, you like camping? I love camping. I've never <laughs> camped a fucking day in my life, but I'm super <laughs> into it now. You know? Right. And that's kind of like, you know, I, I created this boundary quiz so that people could find their baseline and like the nuances of your style. It's, you can go to boundaryquiz.com if you feel like taking it. It's 13 questions. And that's more like the chameleon. Yeah. Right? And that is a particular way that disordered boundaries can be expressed, where you take on the likes of the person you're with. You, do, you don't really tell the truth about how you feel. Then you have like the peacekeeper, which is more just want to avoid conflict, whether it's in my relationship, whether I'm in a restaurant and I see something happening and I want, I'm like auto accommodating so that there's not conflict in the restaurant, even though it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> That's the peacekeeper, right? They're hypervigilant for all the conflicts that might be happening anywhere. Like watching the restaurant, they take a seat so they, hey, ooh, I don't want them to spill something on them. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Or, or people, you know, I would say to Vic, you know, I mean, I've gotten better over the years, but we would go out to dinner. And because I'm a highly sensitive person and an empath, and I have the most insanely acute hearing in the world, sadly, or greatly, I don't know, it's a combo. We'd be eating dinner and, I, and he'd be talking about something. And I swear to you, I'm listening. And then I'd be like, you know, the people too behind you, there's a big conflict that she has a friend sleeping on the couch right now. And he, he's really mad. Like literally, Vic would be like, wait, um, is there anything that I've said in the past 20 minutes that you've even heard? I'm like, oh yeah, you're telling me about the new gig, the thing, the thing. You're like I heard both. I got capacity. Yeah. I just thought you'd be interested in the couch story. Or I'd say, oh, the guy who just walked in is violent. Like literally, he's not doing anything, just walked in. But I would energetically be like, mm. yeah, can we just get it to go? Because I want to get the fuck out of here. Like he's like, okay, weirdo, fine. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs>
But it's honoring, though, your thoughts, feelings, values, skills, you know, whatever it might be. And that's so important. But also learning to contain my own energy, yeah. do energy work with Lara Riggio and a bunch of other people, learning that he may be violent and I'm not being threatened mm-hmm. when I'm in a restaurant and he's 25 feet away from me. I don't need to leave. But the eight-year-old of me was like, oh, well, you do. Pack it up. Yeah. We got to get out of here. You know? So yeah. I think that there's psychological growth has everything to do with our capability to create better boundaries. But let's look at the... Let's look at the unobvious gain for staying in these disordered boundary scenarios. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have boundaries that are too porous, which is too flexible, or boundaries that are too rigid. So that's too big, right? Everyone thinks like there's the misconception about like strong or weak boundaries. And you'll notice that I pretty much never talk about them in that way because they're, it's not strong or weak. Yeah, same. Right. It's, it's, functional or dysfunctional. It's ordered like the way they should be. It's healthy or disordered. Because the question is, are those boundaries getting you what you want in your life? Are you communicating in a way where you feel accurately, succinctly, specifically known? And most of the time, people aren't. So it isn't about why we don't want indirect communication and how much communication is such an important part of this whole process is that it's not precise when you're mad at someone and instead of telling them you slam a door or don't text them back for two days or whatever this um, passive aggression, passive aggressive expression of displeasure, right? We, we do it. Everyone does it to a teeny I've degree. done that. Of course. Hi. I've done that. I revved my car louder before too, guys, my other. I drove a little faster when I was a teenager. I remember that. I was like, no one's winning here in hindsight, you know? (laughs) You're like, but it still kind of felt good. I don't know. She's in the passenger seat. I'm like, I'm so mad. I'm going to take this corner in second a little faster. You know, it's just stupid in hindsight, you know? It's such a testosterone-driven decision right there. Right. Of like, not just saying I'm upset right now. Oh my God, that would free both of us, you know? (laughs) But as I didn't learn how to do that. So yeah, please. Nobody has learned how to do that. So talking about the the boundaries themselves, right? So you've got the too porous and the too rigid and then healthy boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. That is what we want. That is the in-between. But there's, we get something out of staying in our disordered boundaries. So the question is, what is that? And that is where, you know, secondary gain is sometimes I call it how to get unstuck is understanding what do I get to not feel, not face, and not experience by continuing to either, you know, by staying stuck where I am. So if you're someone who you can't tell someone else that you're mad, but you can slam a door or rev a car engine or not text back for a few days, what are you getting? Like, what are you getting to not face, not feel, and not experience? And most of the time, what is it? Vulnerability right? It makes us slightly vulnerable, not ridiculously vulnerable, especially if you know the people you're talking to, right? We're, we're discerning about who we're talking to and about who we're, we're sharing this with. But it makes you a little more vulnerable to say, hey, that really bummed me out. I really didn't appreciate that. Or why the tone? I, I gotta say, I really don't like that tone of voice you just used. Are you mad about something? Are you upset? And if not, then why? If, if either tell me what you're upset about or lose the tone, one or the other, because if you're frustrated at something else, tell me that, but don't take it out on me or whatever. Like these are healthy boundary conversations you can have, but only when you really reveal what am I, what am I um, protecting my ego from by staying in this particular cycle. And that is a part of what we do in the earlier part of the book before, before chapter five, I think it is where we're really learning about um, self-sabotage and resistance, because it comes in all of these ways as much as we want to change things. People are really excited to learn how to, you know, um, create and enforce healthy boundaries mm-hmm. in a good way. But a lot of times you you don't realize, you don't know what is the work that comes with that? What do I need to do 
because the the myth is that it's all about other folks. It's about saying no. It's about punching people in the face verbally. It's about they're going to do it my way. But that's really not true. That's just the the illusion because boundaries are also about saying yes to your pleasure, your sensuality, your specific desires sexually, right? Most people do not share those, especially women. I, I, I don't know about men. I can't say because because I, I got you know I've been with Vic for twenty five years. So I mean may, maybe now men do, but there's something about understanding that it is mastering this art is about your yes and your no being um, trusted and that you can trust it for yourself. So when you're not spending time with these low priority people, you know, taking up space in your VIP section, as I like to say, because they want to, because your third cousin thinks you're best friends, but you're actually not. And she's like, oh my God, I can't wait for your bachelorette. Like I'm totally coming, right? And you're like, oh my God, PS, no. (laughs) (laughs) And your mother's like, Betty's going to be so bummed out if you don't invite her. No, Betty. Literally heard something like that the other day when I think I can't remember if it was my mom. It's like, well, won't they be upset with you that you don't go to whatever it was? And I was like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Like, it's cool. They have the right to be. It's not changing my decision though. Right. But what's so amazing about that, Mark, that just that simple share, you're like, it's, yeah, it's possible, is that you know you're not that fragile and you have faith that other people are not that fragile. Like it's the child within us that thinks that everything is a mother effing disaster and everyone's going to die and the world will stop spinning and we're going to spontaneously burst into flame. (laughs) You're not, though. And when you start to make this shift, I can't tell you it's so fun when I'm teaching this to see people being like, dude, I can't, I'm like looking for people who I can set a limit with, like literally just can't wait to <laughs> set my next limit yeah. or, or to tell the truth about whatever it is because the world doesn't stop. But what happens is you start to know who you are. You mm. have more peace oh, inside, right? More, more expansion. Do you think like, I, I find at least a lot of the times when we're boundaryless, we sort of blame the outside world for our lack of boundaries. Like they're like, I can't, sh- and, and it can obviously sometimes be true that sharing a boundary with someone is not safe. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I do you find that like that sort of connection or that uh, commonality? I definitely do. And I definitely think that it is very different for marginalized communities, folks of color, people who are marginalized Mm -hmm. and have been repressed and oppressed that because it's the truth. Right. This whole like, just do it can't actually be applied if just doing it might get you killed. Right. Right. Yes. So, so there is something about um, and even in the teaching of it, being sensitive to the fact that, you know, there are people in all other countries and this country that are not in, that there's a different access to safety, a different access to making these changes. So taking that into consideration, there is also things, there are also things that we can do to be empowered within ourselves that take into consideration our actual life circumstance. So, you know, I have, I have people, women in Beirut and all of these other war-torn places who it, their life is dangerous. So the same way that I would teach about being in fight or flight all the time, I always say, unless your life is threatened on a daily basis, then being in fight or flight, we just need to learn how to manage what's happening in your body because it's actually an appropriate response, you know? So, so it it is different, Mm -hmm. but the tendency to look outside of ourselves, to say, if my boss weren't such a dick, it would all be okay. If my best friend didn't betray me, it would all be fine. It's them. Where where there is a difference is that the onus is on us to decide how will I react, hopefully more respond to my boss and what they're doing to my friend and the choice she made to my parent who is still quote unquote parenting me, even though I'm a complete grown up. right? These are all boundary issues. 
that it's so funny. I was being interviewed by Kate Northrup. I think you know Kate, I yeah. think, right? The other day. She's so funny. And so she was telling this story, which of course, who remembers what the hell happened 15 years ago? I don't. But she said, you know, Tara, do you remember we were in the city walking in the West Village? And I'm like, keep talking so far. No. Um, <laughs> and she's like, and I was complaining because someone was asking me to do something. And I felt like they were really entitled and I'd already done a lot of things for them. And I was so mad and I couldn't, I was just saying like, I cannot believe Betty. She has the nerve to ask me. And I let her do her whole diatribe. And then I just said, yeah, you know, babe, she has some nerve putting you in the position to say no. <laughs> yeah. And she was what an like, asshole. Oh my God, Terry, stop it. You're so mean, but you're so right. <laughs> we were just, la- I was like, wow, that was, did I say one it like that? I was truths, like, what a jerk. You know? Yeah. It was mm-hmm. One of those truths that kind of like disrupts your complaining cycle that you're like, oh wait, I have choice. And I, you know, I think we forget so often that we are choosing things because we're so used to compliance, as you said, being mistaken for connection. And and that, I mean, now we're saying disrupt that. So, so you have some rules and regulations of being, what do you call them? Yes. They're not rules and regulations. They are the um, boundary boss bill of rights. Bill of rights. Okay. Yeah. We did this right at the, right at the top of, but don't worry. We have rules of engagement too. Lots of rules. But the bill of rights is something that I put at the first thing in the book. Yeah because I wanted us all to be on the same page of what are our boundary rights? Because I cannot tell you in the past 25 years, how many times clients have said, I don't know. Is that that okay? Like, can I, I feel, am I being selfish? Am I terrible? You know? And I'm like, okay, how about we just, I'm just going to write 10 things that we're all on the same page. So let's do it. Awesome. Let's rock it. Uh, because when I read them, I was like, oh, yeah, because when you read these, if they're foreign to you, which there are parts of my child in me that are like, no, you can't do that, you know, <laughs> but you read them and you're like, damn, yeah, you kind of feel like it's a bit of a hype, like a hype person is shouting you out. So let's do All it. Right, let's do them one at a time. And then we'll if there's more to say about them, we will okay, as do we do it. Okay. There you go. You have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. That okay, so that one, I know first one I'm like, okay, but, <laughs> but what happens if you do? Cuz you know, like I would imagine that people are like, well, I never had a boundary before and guilt's the thing that held me back. So so tell I'll me. I'll tell you. Yeah, tell us. Let this land within you first. Right? You have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. So first let it land because you have a faulty belief, a limiting belief that what other people want is more important than how you feel. So in this first one, we're really just debunking that because as long as we're not talking about minor children, what other people want is not more important than how you feel. You may choose to do something mindfully. Let's say you don't want to do something, but your friend who you love a lot says, would you please do it with me? There's someone there that I like, and I really want to see them. And I don't want to go alone. You may do the thing you don't want to do because you really like your friend. That's a choice. That's different than just being the auto yes or the insta yes person and then feeling guilty. In the beginning, when you learn to set boundaries, you will want to take it back. So I have a rule for you that I teach you in the book, which is the 48-hour rule, meaning you're going to want to take it back and I'm going to ask you to wait 48 hours. Mm. And you can tolerate that little that discomfort for 48 hours. You don't have to do anything. You're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> After 48 hours, can I tell you, you're not going to want to take it back. You aren't. It is, it is a momentary feeling most of the time. And so we're not going to immediately, when you, when you start integrating these new things into your behavior, you don't instantly not feel the way you used to feel. Right. You just learn to tolerate that feeling, be a little uncomfortable, but the payoff is so huge. And how you feel, if you can get through those 48 hours without doing the thing I'm telling you not to do, do not take it back. That's your first win where you go, 
Okay, nothing bad happened. Then you realize, oh my gosh, all these people are starting to respect me more. People are giving me more time and more consideration about things because I am asking for it, right? I am requiring a different level of respect. So that's what I say to you. Moving on to number two. I love it. You have the right to make mistakes, to course correct or change your mind. How many people, I mean, this was me. I was loyal to a fault without being discerning. Before I I flexed and even knew I had a discernment muscle, I was like, if I said I'm going to do it, it, everything carried the weight of a life sentence. Well, you wonder why you don't want to make a frigging decision if you don't allow yourself to change your mind, even if it means you go back on your word and say to the person, I'm really sorry. I thought I could do it all. I really can't. I need to pull out of this thing. I'm really sorry. The person might be like, you're screwing me. I'm so mad. Blah. Yeah, I understand that. And you have every right to be. And I'm still pulling out of this thing because it is detrimental to my mental health. Bye. Like you can still that. do that, right? That is like, that's freedom. Cause that's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And still happening. Exactly. Like recognizing but- the cost is too high. Gosh, it's amazing as you were saying that people can't wait to go around to look for people to set limits with, you know, once they're in the groove. And it is amazing once you start to feel it, you're like, I'm powerful. Holy shit, I can say no to shit. This is amazing. The other one, okay, you have the right to negotiate for your preferences, desires, and needs. Tell me about the word negotiate in there versus like have. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of, when we're dealing with other people, it's all a negotiation, right? Because, I mean, unless it's something that you can do for yourself, then then you can just have it. But so much of the time, the difficulty is with when we are in action with another human. And for women in particular, it's hard. It almost seems like it's like gauche or like, not gauche, but like to negotiate for our needs makes us feel like greedy. Mm. We should just accept if they don't want to freely give it to me, then I don't even want it. Right. (laughs) I don't want to tell them what I need because they should already know what I need if they really loved me. Like all of these limiting beliefs that set us up to not get our needs met. Why not negotiate for what you want? That's how you get what you want. And we can also accept that, hey, it's not always going to go our way, but it's definitely not going to go our way if we don't go for it, right? So it's looking at it differently, like what you think matters. Instead of valuing your ability to be so easygoing above everything else, how about value getting your needs met and that your preferences matter? Only when they do. Listen, and I'm not saying, maybe you are easy. There are things I don't care about at all. And I do say to Vic, whatever you want, babe, I don't care, right? But that's the truth, not out of fear. Like, are we being driven by fear of rejection, fear of getting kicked out of the crew, fear of being alone, right? There are all of these things that make us tell lies to ourselves, right? As I call them, the lies we tell, where we make excuses for other people's shit behavior so that we can avoid having a conversation we feel like we don't know how to have so much of the time. So you have a right to negotiate for your preferences, your desires, and your needs. And it doesn't mean you have to, but you have a right to. Yeah, and to think the moment you know that it's important that your needs and desires and preferences get met sometimes, the more you'll be open to that space for the people you're in negotiation with. I love that. So true. Okay, so you have the right to express and honor all of your feelings if you choose. Amen. Right? You don't have to is the point. I like that, that insertion of choice, because that's that difference between oversharing and and vulnerability. And not to mention, that's the difference between someone being like, well, what happened in your therapy session today? (laughs) Well, hi, none of your fucking business. That's what happened. (laughs) Get your own therapy. I love you. (laughs) Get your own. Um, You have the right to voice your opinion, even if others disagree. This this one seems like a contentious issue these days. (laughs) I love it. I love it. The internet doesn't agree with you, but I do love you and love it. Um, You have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. Mm, Yeah, let that one land. You have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. That one, that's that's an important one. It is. 
Okay. Ooh, I felt that one. <laughs> Me too. You have the right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. Oh, I'm so happy you use the word privilege because it shows how much it is an honor to be chosen by anyone in whatever capacity that is. Yeah. Friendship, relationship, employment, you know, teammate, whatever it is. Who has the privilege? And as soon as you recognize it as a privilege, you will not lower any bars or standards. Um, you have the right to communicate your boundaries, limits, and deal breakers. Yes. You have the right to prioritize your self-care without feeling selfish. This feels like it needs a little extra check because I feel like a lot of the times self-care, I'll see this, I'm sure you see this too, in comments where someone's like, sounds like selfishness to me. And I'm like, Oh, Lord, you're one of those, you know, where I get it. They're fighting for their own self-abandonment to, like, yep. maintain the line. And, of course, I think there is a line where in relationship you can be overtly selfish, of course. But the, when you've never made anything about yourself or honored yourself, your preferences, your desires, whatever it is, it's going to anything is going to feel selfish. Is that fair? Yeah. And anything you do, if you're so used to self-abandoning and that your value, when you are highly codependent, a lot of times our value comes from the value we add to the lives of others, where we don't really have independent value. We just feel like, I want to be useful. I want to add so much value to this person's life that they can't ditch me, you know? But it's over-functioning, over-giving, over-focused, over-feeling, all of those things. So self-care. The truth is, that's you filling up your own bucket so that you're not bitter when others don't. Because the truth is, they can't. Self-care is the foundation for self-love. And so much of the time, when we lack self-care, we lack authentic self-love, and there's a gaping hole inside of us that we're looking to our romantic relationships to fill, our friendships, something outside of ourselves. And yet, that place inside of you the only thing that can fill it is self-love. So self-care is really important. It's not just like a mani-pedi, although it could be. It's really talking about actual self-care. Like, do you sleep when you're tired? Do you put up with shit from other people or not? Do you eat good food if it's available to you as much as you are able? Do you move your body if you are able? Like those things... And it's very easy to, when your boundaries are disordered, to be the last on your own list. And then you end up what? Resentful? Becoming a martyr, right? The martyr. The martyr's mm. favorite places. <laughs> just going know. just going to bitter land. That's all I'm saying, you know? <laughs> uh, okay. And the last one, you have the right to talk true, be seen, and live free. What's beautiful about that truth is that it's innately connected to our DNA, to our sovereignty, to us. And, you know, I think when our boundaries influence or impact other people, we often think they failed in some way or that they'll lead to something. I feel like the main fear people have, you know, based on what I've witnessed, is that they're going to lose people. And I'm curious what your recommendation is or, or what that, how to deal with that. Well, here's the thing. There's there's truth in that sometimes you will, right? Sometimes if if a relationship is so fragile that you drawing a boundary creates a rupture so great that it ends the relationship, there was literally no room for you in that relationship. And I promise you that is not better than being alone. Amen. Amen to that. And I, I think for you listening, hold that truth. That that if it can't hold all of you, not just the boundaryless version of you, then it's not the relationship for you. The container can't contain you, you know. And so, unless you keep yourself super small, and are you willing to do that? That's like dimming your own light. Not anymore. No, right now. Not after this book. Not after <laughs> this podcast. So, for people listening. How can they look forward? What can they look forward to learning from the book? And how can they look forward to feeling when they're finished and, and they've implemented the lessons that you've uh, shared with us today? But, uh, you know, obviously in the book, you go much deeper. I do. Um, you can look forward to, first of all, every single chapter is, has um, case studies. 
so that my own life, my clients, friends, popular people, so that you can look and go, oh, okay, I get that. I understand it. You can look forward to slowly but surely shifting the boundary dances that you're doing, the ones that are not working for you. And even if you have extremely difficult people in your life, I have a whole chapter called Boundary Destroyers, how to deal with extremely difficult people. Because it's different than just, just a boundary bully is one thing. A repeat offender is another thing. A boundary first timer is another thing. So you learn that everyone isn't just lumped into the category of like, oh, this is how I approach it. We learn the nuances of the specifics of the relationship, what you know about the person. So you have a proactive boundary success plan. You understand how to set yourself up for success, which means you're getting rid of that anxiety before you're doing it. You're visualizing it. You're taking into consideration who they are. And I have a whole entire chapter of just scripts. Yeah. Sentence starters, right? Yeah. Because that's, uh, you know, in our Crutch Codependency course, too, you provided those. And what I found so useful about that, having not, you know, I didn't really witnessed it as much before we did that work together, is it starts to make language that is foreign to one. It starts to, it might feel like fake, you know, that idea of fake it till you make it. But, <laughs> but you're actually not faking it because it's you saying the words and it's you beginning to embody them. And eventually other person, another person's language becomes your language and you become this boundaried, uh, healthy boundaried, well uh, regulated, you know, all the things. I'm giving you guys a really awesome gift. And it's, it's um, a lesson on how to do less and be more efficient and effective with boundaries. It's a little um, video and it's also a beautiful downloadable guide to just give you more bandwidth for your actual life. So where do people find, first off, your book and all the things yes. and the gift? Uh, yes, please. So go to boundarybossbook.com and that is where you can purchase the gift. I'm also doing um, Boundary Bootcamp along with the book itself. So there's a whole bunch of opportunities to have there, a bunch of bonuses that are free, free, free. You're going to love it. And then the gift for your audience is boundaryboss.me forward slash CTL. Is that good? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So boundaryboss.me CTL. And that's where you got the free gift. So boundaryboss.me slash CTL. Yes. Perfect. All right, people, you know where to go. Boundarybossbook.com to buy the book, take care of the boundary, get all the bonuses that come right now, right? If you, yep. if you buy it. And then also go to boundarybook.me slash ctl for no boundaryboss.me slash ctl boundaryboss.me forward slash ctl to get the bonus and terry i love you i'm so happy that you came on and shared all this beautiful wisdom i love you too thank you so much for supporting my first book baby of course always uh, i love your teaching style i love that you bring so much humor to it and it makes it so rela- uh, relatable and, and translatable so everyone if you want some boundaries you want to you want to live free right you want to feel that go get it thank you terry thanks mark